Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is time for the Old Testament study. Dr. Peter Kapsner is here, and our very special guest today is Carmen LaBerge. How about that? This is really exciting. And not only is she here, but she is in studio. She's in the house with us. It is rare. It's great. I think it's the only reason we're doing this. No, it's not. No, no. (laughs) you are here first and foremost because of your expansive Old Testament wisdom, Carmen. You just happen to be in studio today. Mm -hmm. We meticulously planned this show. We contacted you about two days ago. Yeah, easily. easily. (laughs) But but you've been on our heart for years, Carmen, on this episode. (laughs) And so the subject person today from the Old Testament, it's two people we're talking about, right? Well, yeah. So we have a person, and then because of that person, you have to talk about some other people. Okay. Yeah, this is, it's not really a person in isolation. Okay, so we're excited to hear about who this person is. Um, so anytime you feel like you, <laughs> you want to announce, oh, that, okay. announce that name, you so, go right ahead. <laughs> seemed like an invitation, but sure. You go right ahead and yeah. announce that name. Okay, so we're going to talk about Hulda. 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 How do we Hulda. spell that? How do you say it? it how, that's the way you say it, Hulda. And how Hulda. do you spell it? It would be H-U-L-D-A-H. Yeah, Hulda. So a rather obscure people are a person for many people, I would think, right, Carmen? Do you know a lot Only of people, people that have who, run into Hulda? Well, I would say you know, she has a gate named after her in she Jerusalem. Does. Indeed. So, um, you know, I think that there are people who are aware of her. So she is a prophetess, and you um, you encounter Hulda as a part of um, the the reform that comes in the days of King Josiah. So you can find Hulda in two places. You can either... Um, find the story in Second Kings twenty two or in Second Chronicles thirty four, and mm-hmm. you know just because you got to pick one, I picked uh, the Second Chronicles thirty four version of the story to talk about today. Cool. Yeah. So. So, let's start learning what we can learn uh, because. Peter, you got nothing. I got nothing. All right, so let me do this. Let me just start at the the beginning of the chapter, all right? So at the very beginning of the chapter in in 2 Chronicles 34, we have Josiah, and he's eight years old, and he's king. Which is crazy at eight years old. Which is crazy. Okay, so let's just start with that. Um, So uh, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Now, that's just ridiculous. Obviously, there's people around him. Um, who are still raising him as a human being, um, even though he is reigning as king. And he's going to reign for 31 years. So he is going to reign until he is, here's the math part. He's, he starts when he's eight, and he's going to reign 31 years. 31 and eight is? 30, 39. Okay. So the reason that matters is that there's only a 10-year period of time at the end of his reign that the conversation about Hulda even matters. Hmm. Okay. So... I, I just bring that up to say there's a there's a huge part of this story prior to Hulda getting to talk about the things that she knows that are going to change the world. She has to sit on she is sitting on the side. I mean, we don't actually. It's not like I know that she's sitting on the sidelines, but I can tell you that the scripture bears witness to the fact that she's sitting on the sidelines, knowing what she knows and keeping quiet about it because nobody's asking. But boy, once they ask. 
She tells them the truth, wow. and it's pretty cool. So is she King Josiah's go-to No, no, prophet? no, no, no. no. Okay. So once we get you, 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 in order to arrive, I know it's okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm. You, here's the part I've that you're. Here's few, the part that you're going to love about um, about Hulda. <laughs> I think is that um, what what kind of matters about Hulda is who she's married to. So she, I, I, I don't. I feel like we're like rushing ahead if we talk about. If no, we start let's slow down because I don't know her. how much material we have. Okay. So well, I have a lot of material, but I okay, will. Okay, good. But um, but I will resist jumping right to it. So. Um, let's arrive at Hulda by introducing what happens to Josiah and then introducing the high priest who's Hilkiah. And that part of the story, I think, gets us to, that will get us to Hulda. Is that okay? Yeah, I think, I think you're right direction? about that because I think if people do know any of the more obscure kings post-Solomon, right, Josiah is going to be a name that maybe some people are going to know because yeah. there is pretty significant events that happened Absolutely. during his reign and especially with the high priest at this time. I think that's what you're going to... And gonna he was a godly next. king. Absolutely. He was, that's right, yeah, which that's is unusual. Exactly Very, right. There, Very, there were unusual. no godly kings of right. the northern empire after it split and only a few in the south. And right. he was one of the few of the south. And it inspires hope that he is a godly king even in the midst of a people who do not have access to the book of the law. So just uh, that's the part about this that is so significant. Right. Okay. So um, Josiah is eight years old when he begins to reign. He reigns 31 years. um, And he was, the scripture says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David. Um, He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So here's the question. Who discipled him? Hmm. That's the question that I'm like, who discipled him? We don't know. Don't we don't know us. the answer to that question. Yeah. I know. But there's um so there's some layers here. Um and, and when you get to the fact that she's married to the wardrober, do you know what the wardrober does? Dresses the king. Okay, I knew that. So she is so there's a there's I'm just saying there's some there's some context here. She is potentially in a very long term relationship mm. with Josiah. Uh, you know, like as a mater- we don't know, but right. it's possible that you know, she's, you know, buttoning his shirt. I, not that there were buttons, but you get my point. Right. right. Well, and, and for sure, in that situation, somebody had to intercede that That's way exactly because there right. had been generations of kings that had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. So it's not like Josiah was coming from a rich familial history of no. people who had, who had followed the ways of Yahweh. Yeah. So, so clearly there's some kind of intersection here. Yeah. So um, when he turns 16, he is um, seeking, seeking God. He becomes a, a seeker after, after God. And um, and then when he's 20, he starts acting on what he's learned. So apparently between when he's 16 and when he's 20, what he has learned is idols are bad because he spends the next nine years purging, purging Israel, purging Judah of all idolatry. It is major. They are chopping down altars. They're cutting down incense uh trains they're breaking the pieces of the i mean they're it's destruction um 101 in the in the beginning of this chapter and they come to like the end of that right they've destroyed all of all of that and somebody maybe says hey you know there once was this temple that people used to go to mm-hmm. that where we used to do some stuff and it's fallen into disrepair because nobody goes there anymore just think about that for just a moment that the priority when he became a seeker after God, whoever told him, whatever they told him about God, they told him God was mad about idolatry. They never said God is a God worthy of worship. There's a, there's a place that was constructed as holy unto him. And, you know, even though we've got a high priest, apparently he doesn't know what's supposed to be happening there. Like, I just, it's 
stunning. It is a little bit stunning because that was the centerpiece of the heart of worship of Israel when David brought the tabernacle into the city and Solomon built the temple. And now you're talking uh, how many ever generations it is. They don't even know the temple exists they anymore. It is, it is a really stunning part of the story. Like it's become like the barn on the back of the property <laughs> that people just stuff. It's just it's like it's like American Pickers, which is where I think this story goes. If you've ever seen American Pickers, you know what that show's about? Yeah. No. Of course right. I do. Right. <laughs> it's my so, show. Of course yeah, I know what it means. Rosie, he, he do you texts know me what photos from it all the time. Is? Yes. Rosie, Absolutely. I love Amer- Mike and uh, mm-hmm. what's his other name? Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank. Mike and Frank. So what do Mike and Frank do, Rosie? They go into old (laughs) antique places and they crawl through a lot of gross stuff Mm -hmm. and they find treasures Mm -hmm. and then they haggle for those treasures and then they resell them. Because they know what they're oh. worth. Because they know what they're, they're worth. They're crawling and- around in the in in the back in the in the storage bins and da da da. And because they know what stuff is worth. So this story <laughs> ends up. I know it's just stunning to you because you've just you haven't recently read Second Chronicles thirty four, no. so you don't know how much fun I, I, it is. I don't know these other guys, but, these pickers. I was right. going to say they're banjo players or so, something. <laughs> so for six years, for six years. Josiah's got all his guys out there and basically like a demo. They're like demoing. They're demolishing stuff across the country. And I guess they kind of get tired of that. And they decide there must be more to this worshiping God thing than just tearing stuff down. But we don't know what the positive side of this is. And so um, in the 18th year of his reign, so he's now 29. He's now 29 years old. He'd cleansed the land. This is verse 8. He had cleansed the land and, and the house. And so he sends... Saphon, the son of Azaliah, these are not people that I picked to talk about because this is all we know about them, and Mazareth, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder, who's the guy that took all the notes, which is why we know all this. Mm-hmm. And here's what he sends them to do, to repair the house of the Lord his mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. He's not even going to do it himself. He has got a building committee together, and he is sending them over there to check out what needs to be done. So between these verses is where I perceive there to be a whole episode of American Pickers. Okay? So I know that those of you who are listening and know what that is and are going to go read Second Chronicles 34, and you're going to say between verses 8 and 9, that's where the episode of American Pickers comes in. So they, they go in, and they've done, all they're really looking for is the money that had been collected and was stored away. Over time, and so they they get all the money out. But when they're getting all the money out, which is the stuff that visibly has value, because they got to have something to pay the guys that are going to come in and rebuild. So they've got all that collected. But you know what? In the midst of that, they came across a scroll described as a book, but it would have been a scroll, the book of the law. Mm. They don't know that it's worth anything, and it becomes like the subject of like second mention, second consideration. But it's the um, you know it ultimately is what. The entire reform is based upon. Your producer is telling us we need to take a break. Well, you can tell me when I should take a break because you, you know you're you're telling the story today. Yeah, indeed. I'm so, telling you all we need to take a break. This is a great cliffhanger. Rosie, why don't you take us into break? I'm then? taking us into break. <laughs> so here we go into break. <laughs> Testament, 
talking about Huldah today with Carmen LaBerge, Dr. Peter Kapsner, and I are continuing our study of the Old Testament, people in the Old Testament. This is a pretty interesting discussion you got going here, Carmen. We're doing our best to stay out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So in order to get to Huldah, we got to get to Hilkiah, and in order to get to Hilkiah, we got to go through this process of finding the book of the law. And um, so so that's where we are. We are in Second Chronicles chapter 34. And when we arrive at verse 9, I'm just going to tell you, if you've ever served on a church building committee or you've ever served on a church finance committee, these verses were written for you. Like, because that's what's going on here. Like that guy that they sent to take notes and be the recorder, this is what he was writing down. Like who got paid for what and what they were doing and how they got paid and where they found the money to pay him and da 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 So um, they came to Hilkiah, the high priest. They gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God. So they had found the money, right, in the in the storeroom, and they gave it to the high priest. And then there's this process of redistributing it to all the people that are doing all of the work. So the keepers of the threshold, I mean, it's on and on and on. Everybody that's working, um, the burden bearers, all the work, the people that did work and service of every kind, blah, blah, blah. Okay, not that that's not important, <laughs> but it's the building and finance committee report part of the story. So fast forwarding. So verse 14, now we're arriving at the critical portion. While they were bringing out the money, which is actually what they were in there looking for, uh, while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Okay, if you found it, then at some point you lost to keep it. it. No, yes. finders keepers. Well, yes, finders <laughs> keepers for sure. But if you found it, it suggests that at some point you lost it or misplaced it and forgot about it. Okay, so that's what's going on here. It, I think it's significant that Hilkiah, the high priest, found, like, dis- rediscovered the book of the law. Like, what was he operating on? Mm-hmm. Are you, I mean, that's like saying that, you know, oh, a pastor rifling through the back of the church came across a Bible and was like, oh, hey, what's this? Yeah, I wonder what's that's in this. What's that's what's going a, on it's, here. It's really, it's Look really at this. True. What is this? I mean, this was the covenant that God and Moses established at Sinai that that was to be the guide of the people of Israel, and he found it, as you said. Yeah. So Hilkiah uh, says to Shaphan, the secretary, hey, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. That seems really significant, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, well, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking, what do you mean you found it? And Shaphan does not respond, you know, like, hey, that's amazing. Or what's the book of the law? Like, it's just interesting. Instead, he's like, yeah, you know what? I'll write that down because I'll include that as a portion of my report. But I'm not going to mention it first because it's not that important. <laughs> Because that's what happens next. So um, Hilkiah gives the book to Shaphan. He's not even reading it. He's just passing it along to the next guy. Shaphan brings the book to the king. King who? King Josiah. And then he starts his report to the king. Now, what would you think, knowing what the book of the law is, what would you think should lead, like, the priority list in the report? The report to the king. Well, you would think in the report to the king, first off, we found the book of the law. No, 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 no. Here's, here's goes the report. All that was committed to your servants, they are doing. Like everybody's doing their job. Everybody is doing what you told them to do. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord. So we, we, we got all the loot and have given it into the hand of the overseers and then into the hand of the workmen. Like this is the sort of personnel report. Mm-hmm. Uh, so almost as an afterthought, he then says, oh, and we found this. 
<laughs> Literally, that's what it's so. Shaphan, this is verse 18. The secretary then tells the king, hey, Hilkiah the priest, it doesn't say hey, but Hilkiah the <laughs> priest has given me a book. Shaphan begins reading to it before the king. Now, here's what we don't know. This is a little bit like on the walk to Emmaus where uh, it says that, you know, everything that was said about him uh, in all the prophecies, you know, Jesus, you know, opened their eyes to them and made known like they, 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 they walked their way through the prophets. We don't know exactly what Shaphan read out loud um, to the king. So if you think about the book of the law, you're thinking about the book of Deuteronomy specifically. Right. And if you open a scroll, you actually have to work pretty hard to open it to the very beginning. So just imagine that Shaphan just opens it. He's not necessarily opening it to the very beginning. He might have, but he might not have. Imagine for a moment that what he read from was, I don't know, Deuteronomy chapter 4. That might be a place that you might turn and open to fairly easily, which actually lays out the statutes and the rules um, that the Lord was teaching, that they would take possession of the land, that God uh, would be their God, that God was giving them the land, And then this, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor ever take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Um, Your eyes have seen what I have done, and there's a reference to bringing down idolatry, but you held fast to the Lord your God um, and and are alive today. See, I have taught you the statutes and the rules uh, of of the Lord my God that commanded me, this would be Moses talking, and you should do them in the land that you are entering and take possession of it. Keep them, do them. Um, from them, you will have wisdom and understanding in the sight of all people. I mean, on and on and on. There's a there's a leadership lesson here about national leadership that comes at the end of this text. And I'm thinking to myself, Josiah woke up to what it meant to be a king of Israel and and a man after God's own heart when he heard the word read, mm. when he heard the book of the law. There's an awakening that takes place. And if you read Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 4 through like, verse 14, um, you get this, you're supposed to be declaring it, you're supposed to be teaching it, you're supposed to be keeping it, you're supposed to be meditating on it, um, and you're supposed to be passing it down generation to generation that you might, um, you know, do well in the land that you're going to possess. Like, this is how you do well as God's people. And that's where King Josiah, having heard the words, verse 19, tore his clothes. Which is quite the response in that time. I mean, I, I think if you're there, right, isn't this, it, it's a response of incredible grief and somewhat anger, uh, some combination of those two things. Yeah. Why did I not know? If you're the king, right. there is a, why am I just learning this? Yeah, because the religious leaders, when uh, in front of Paul and in front of Jesus at times, would tear their clothes because they were so angry about something that was revealed in that moment. It's exactly right. So he um, commands Hilkiah and a bunch of other people, because there's a giant long list here, um, to go, this is interesting, go inquire of the Lord for me. And for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that was written in this book. Like Josiah gets why his nation is in such travail. Mm. He gets why his people are so enamored with idols. He gets why the why the temple is in such awful disrepair. He gets it. He gets it. 
my fathers, the kings who have come before me, failed to lead this people in faithfulness. But he has to also be looking at the high priest and thinking to himself, why did you guys leave the book behind? Like, what were you doing? (laughs) What were you relying on? What have you been teaching me? What else have you not been telling me? What else has God revealed that we don't know? Like, it's an amazing point in the history of Israel. And I think it should be a sobering point Mm -hmm. for us because there's a lot of people that have never read the book. They're operating on, you know, generation after generation, the shadow of a shadow of a shadow of faith, and they have not read the book. They don't know what God has said. And I think if they were to read it, they would be surprised by it. And, yeah, some of them would tear their clothes and be wondering, why didn't the so-called teachers today, why haven't been pastors been teaching this? Why has this been kept from me? Mm-hmm. Um, because this is why our country is in such travail, such travail. Mm. So um, go inquire of the Lord for me. Like find out if this lines up with what the people who know God know about God. Does this line up? Which reminded me of the Bereans going and testing what they have just heard or learned against what they know to be true. So that's what I think is happening here. Now, one of the people that they find to ask is Hulda. So when they're going to inquire, uh, inquire of the people who everybody knows, 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 these are the people who know the Lord. So Hulda is on that list. People recognize that she is a person who knows the Lord. And so what's happening now is that they're going to go test what they have read in this book against what Hulda knows about the Lord. Hmm. Now, she's not the only person that they are going to inquire But of. they immediately sought her, didn't they? Yeah, she's definitely um, on the list. She is among those. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had sent went to Hulda the prophetess. Hmm. And we will talk about who she is after the break. Yeah, okay. I, I'll, I'll agree to that. Yeah, I, 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 and, I'll, I'll third that. And in the meantime, Second. with our, our board still here in the studio... I want to say a thanks to Craig from Holly, Minnesota, and gave a generous gift of $40 a month and is very grateful. I want to thank God for the fruits of Faith Radio. It's, uh, it is joyful and not hard to understand why listeners enjoy, relish, and comprehend the ministry. Thank you for that. Joseph from Callaway, Minnesota, how about this gift? $200 a month. Oh, my goodness. Incredible. Wow, yeah. Joseph, thank you so much. Yep. Wow. And another anonymous gift came in from Wyoming, Minnesota, a one-time gift of $500, and another gift from Brooklyn Center of $300. It's amazing. That's amazing. Just amazing. Wow. Yeah. Totally amazing. Yeah, I know. I know. We'll take a short break. When we come back, more on the Prophet Hulda with Carmen LaBerge. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are continuing our study of Old Testament people and loving this. We'll be right back.
<laughs> yeah, well, the mics are all on, so people just oh. heard you sing, which is kind of, <laughs> just, kind of cute. I'm so sorry. That's okay. You were dancing to the song. You were many, dancing to the it's song, such a great Carmen. Song. It is many a great song. Get in the car and find out what's for dinner with For Bill sure. Arnold. And there are people saying, hey, they're the out loud, totally. vocalizing hey. hey to no one in Absolutely. the car right now because they're along with the song. Absolutely. There's no, no question Carmen, about it. I had to turn on your mic. You were way too cute. I'm oh. so sorry. I yeah. had to capture it. Yeah. We're back. We're back. We're continuing our discussion on the Old Testament a person named Hulda, and Carmen LaBerge is our guest, and Peter and I are fascinated with all of her research and what she's bringing to the table. It's quite interesting. It is really interesting. It, it take us into the narrative of this. Of Again, it was, what is a, a really important passage of Scripture, but it, somehow relatively obscure still. I think people should know about it. So I think they should agree. Yeah, just, like, appreciate the opportunity to to lift this up. So, um, so Hulda, uh, we finally arrive at verse twenty two. So we are in Second Chronicles chapter thirty four. If you wonder where the story uh, is located, um, it's also in Second Kings twenty two. But we're doing the version out of Second Chronicles thirty four today. So we're at verse twenty two, and this is um, you know where. The name Hulda appears. This is where she, you know, arrives on the scene for us. So Hilkiah, let's remember, let's recall, he's the priest. He's the high priest at the time. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had sent went to Hulda. So he, remember, the king is sending them to the people who know the Lord. And at least whoever wrote Second Chronicles thought, well, we're not going to talk about all the other people that they went to maybe because we're just going to talk about the one who actually had the prophecy. Right. And that's possible, right? We don't know that she's the first person that they went to. We know she's the first person that was chronicled. And she's not the only prophet in that time, as you were no, saying. So no. it is interesting how this process played itself out. Yeah. She's the only one here who is named and whose story is told. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had sent went to Hulda, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, son of Hashra, keeper of the wardrobe. Okay, I know that the C.S. Lewis fans out there are right now, that's all they're thinking about. But it's, it's uh, so it's not quite the keeper of that kind of wardrobe. The keeper of the wardrobe um, is the person who was responsible for dressing the king in his court. So her family is generationally involved in, in the householding of the king. And that's important because it, it's, you know, clear that they were in intimate fellowship with Josiah in the years he was growing up. And, and I think that's significant in this. Um, and so she said to them, oh, now, first of all, she's apparently not surprised. I mean, and she doesn't ask, you know, when they say we found the book of the law uh, and it was read to the king and he wants to know, is this the truth? She doesn't say, what is the book of the law? Right. What did you read? What was in it? What did you find there? She doesn't have any questions. She's ready to deliver a prophecy. Which is fascinating because she they didn't say that she read the book of the law and then commented on it somehow. There's no indication that the book of the law was brought in front of her at this point. So setting the stage for that with what her response is in this moment to their coming to her is fascinating. Yeah. The, the, what the king wants to know is, is the wrath that is talked about in this book coming? Is the wrath coming? Related to the previous idolatry, that he had wiped out the idolatry of Israel, but still the, the wrath was coming. Yeah, so here's his, here's his question. Let's go back to verse 21. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah. So we want to know what's going to happen to me and what's going to happen to the rest of the people in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us 
because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Mm. So Josiah gets what's in the book. He has clearly understood, and he wants to know, is that coming? Is the wrath that is talked about in that book (laughs) coming? And so go inquire uh, of those who actually know the Lord. So what does school to say? It's a bit of a yes and no answer. There is a yes, the wrath is coming, and then there is a but in verse 26. And it is a it is a big but. Um, so is the wrath coming? Yes. Uh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that has been read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me. They have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. I mean, that is pretty direct prophecy. (laughs) And then she says, but to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And so they brought back the word to the king. I get chills when you read that. Just goosebumps about, I don't even know what's going on within sort of Godhead at that moment related to offering that sort of grace. And Josiah, I certainly don't know the implications of that. Is this a one-time kind of thing or is this a pattern that we see that even could extend into today in certain circumstances? People, I think, have a lot of questions along those kinds of lines. Yeah. yeah. So it's important, I think, to read this in conversation with what we know from the prophet Jeremiah covering, um, you know, similar period of uh, of history in Israel. Um, You know, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, there is this pleading before God on behalf of the people. And that's what happens next. Like, right, Josiah demonstrates what godly leadership looks like. Because at this point in the story, what could he do? He could be like, (laughs) I good. (laughs) You know, sad for all you poor saps out there, but I'm good. Right? And he could have lived out his years in peace and let the rest of them, you know, suffer the consequences of, uh, but he didn't. That's not what he did. Hmm. Instead, picking up a verse 29, the king sent And he gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the house of the Lord. Now, remember, this it's broken down. It's 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 been neglected. It's been defiled. It's it's in terrible disrepair. He goes up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people. Isn't it interesting? There's still priests and Levites. There's still people with positional, you know, Fancy names. There's still some fancy pants out there with some ordination standards, but they... They, they don't have the book of the law. No, and they haven't no even been taking care of the yeah. house of the Lord. All yep. right. All the people, both great and small, and he read... It's interesting the king does this. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord 
to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with his whole heart and with his whole soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. That's leadership. That is that is good, godly leadership. When you become aware that you and your people are on the wrong side of a good and holy God, and you and you know what it looks like to repent and to make your people aware um, of, of what it looks like to be followers of God, you do it. You stand mm. up in the place where you're supposed to, and you lead. You read it to them, mm. and you call them to covenant renewal, and that's what he does, and that's what happens. So uh, let's see, picking up at verse 32. Then he made all who were present. Remember, he's the king, so now he's going to use some authority, all right? It's going to demonstrate authority here. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem um, and in Benjamin join in, which is interesting because in Jerusalem, we think of as a place. In Benjamin, we think of as a tribe. Um, And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to all the people of Israel and made all, there's a lot of alls in this verse, and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. And all his days, they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Really good. I love what you said, Carmen, about people who are not on the holy side of God. That's something that all government officials should be considering today. Yeah. Are you on the right or the wrong side of a holy God? It doesn't really matter where you are in terms of the right or the wrong side of history. What matters is, are you on the right or the wrong side of a holy God? Yeah. I don't care about being on the right or wrong side of history. I want to be on the right side of eternity. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And think about all of the gods that he wiped out. It was primarily the the Baal gods and the Asherah gods, and they, they were seen to be as in charge of the fertility of the land and the fertility of the livestock and fertility of families. And, and in that time, if we could enter into their psyche, that was the most critical thing for them. That was what their future was held by, was the fertility of these things, that it would be healthy moving forward. And so I, I just think, Carmen, about all of the things that you can trust from an idolatry standpoint on behalf of the future to lean into, and you do that long enough, and suddenly you don't even have a book of the law anymore. You don't You don't have any bearing. You don't have any sense of, of what you just said, Bill, eternity. You don't have any sense of being of what you're on the right side of. You're just trying to survive yourself, and you're willing to give yourself to anything in order to secure your future in that. And, and he tore all of that down. It's, it's a fascinating story. There you go. That's what I got for you, man. That's good stuff. It is good stuff. So Hulda <clears throat> is obviously trusted and known by, by the king. And she is sought out. So By the high priest. By the high priest. Um, and she is now probably uh, being consulted in the... I mean, she's making a prophetic comment on the written word, right? Yeah, she's a mouthpiece of God. We know yeah. that. She's speaking on behalf, on behalf of God. And so, you know, I think that, you know, there are people who make much of the fact that this is a woman. But, you know, it could have been a donkey. Mm-hmm. It could have been a rock. Like, right? I mean, and when God needs a witness, God gets himself a witness. So I don't make a whole lot. I don't, I think it's, yeah, I I. I'm not in the world to argue, you know, about whether or not, you know, God can use a woman to change the hearts and minds. He clearly did. So, you know, if if people want to wear themselves out arguing about that, that seems silly to me. Mm-hmm. But I do know that that is something that people like to make much of. All right. I think we'll take a little break. We'll come back with uh, lots more. Thank you for uh, what you did over our winter fundraiser. It was amazing. And gifts are still coming in. It's just amazing. Yeah. 
Jamie from Woodbury, thank you for that gift. You've given $20 a month, and you pray for the children of our... Yeah. K-12. Yeah, our, yeah mm-hmm. our, our nation's K-12 educational system. It's a beautiful prayer. We'll take a short break. Be right back. Talking about Huldah from what is it, Second Chronicles? Yep. Yeah. Second Chronicles thirty-four or Second Kings twenty-two. Uh-huh. And is this what we know about the the limits of her ministry? This passage? Yeah, this is what we know about her. Okay. Um, I mean, we do know that um, you know, when when the canon is formed of what we know as the Old Testament, what um, you know, what the Jews consider to be scripture, how that canon is put together, that list of books is put together, um, you know, her affirmation and confirmation of this book of the law found and rediscovered in the temple, her confirmation of it, that it is the word of God, is an argument that is made for the inclusion of Deuteronomy in, in the <laughs> Bible. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, significant. Yeah. If you think Moses wrote Deuteronomy, then that seems argument enough as well. So likely if she was a, a prophetess that she had many more prophecies, but this is the only one we know of. So I don't know that, um, we know that she knew the Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, cause they were seeking her out because that the King sent them to talk to the people who knew the Lord. And so we don't know who all they went to or who else they went to. Um, we do know that this is the person and the prophecy that is recorded in relationship to the turning of the uh, of the king's heart to an understanding that the book of the law really matters and it led to a, a society-wide renewal and revival and I think that's significant. Yeah. And I, I know in, in Jewish rabbinical tradition they have something called midrash which isn't authoritative it isn't inspired we don't consider it canon of scripture but it can be a helpful resource from time to time to think about how the rabbis of those days were thinking about these characters and these people sometimes filling in gaps again i'm not going to claim it's trustworthy but the, it, it makes for an interesting read and and there's a couple different theories that they talk about about how she knew this information from deuteronomy and some people would say that it was passed down from oral tradition because that was really a thing in israel to they didn't papyrus was really expensive to make scrolls yeah, from yeah. and so they had to learn how to recite and and they had to learn how to memorize and and have festivals and and all the just the rhythms of life that, that kept the traditions alive. But uh, other people, some of the rabbis suggested she received a, a divinely inspired word uh, from the Lord as well. So it is interesting. There's a pretty rich set of interpretations and understandings and midrashes of the, of the rabbis that people can read if they want to as well. So Hulda, uh, there's a group of what, five dignitaries that, are, that go to her and then she prophesizes and then they return with the message that she gave them, and the king accepts it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that leads him 
to then in turn, you know, organize for this public reading of the entirety of what is then called the Book of the Covenant. It's called the Book of the Law early in the chapter. It's called the Book of the Covenant later in the chapter. And then having read it in its entirety, which would take a long time, a long time. A very long time. Um uh, you know, public the public reading of of the word of God before the people, and then that leads to this covenant renewal that the king leads, but the people engage in. Did Huldah's ministry seem similar to the ministry of the male prophets? It, she was one of the prophet. There were male male prophets in that time as well. Mm-hmm. And again, there's some speculation about where she ministered and to whom, and and uh, and who sat under her teaching. But um, there there is obviously she she was a prominent enough figure that uh, to this day, if you go to the old city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a pretty sprawling metropolis. But there is about a two to three square mile section of the city in which uh, some of the the key moments and, and key events of scripture. Happen. It's surrounded by these old walls, and in, in those walls, there's four different gates, and one of them is Hulda's gate. You can see actually Hulda in the gate itself. So she was thought to be teaching and, and holding court, as it were, within the gates of his, uh, of Jerusalem itself in those moments, and has been commemorated within those walls. So I, I don't know if what that indicates about how she was thought of at that time mm-hmm. entirely, but clearly she was a prominent figure as a prophet at that moment. Yeah, they knew where to find her, um, and and where she lived is noted by the chronicle. The chronicler, the person who writes <laughs> Second Chronicles, um, it says she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. Like the second quarter is a place. It's you know it's yeah, Jerusalem is divided Jerusalem, into yeah. quarters. Right. So yeah. So what did you after all the study, Carmen? What did you walk away with feeling uh, emboldened by? I would say the word um, for me would be convicted more than emboldened. Okay. Um, Definitely convicted that we live in a day and a time when everyone has access to the Bible, but a whole lot of people um, would have to enter into like an American Pickers event to ever find it um, in their, you know, in, in their storage room or, you know, it, it just think about, is there a Bible in your house that's covered with dust? Mm. And if so, you know, then this is where we're living. And if we, if we imagine that we're going to live under the protection and the blessing of God, and yet we have access to his word and we live in a country where we're free, not only to read it, but to proclaim it and declare it and study it and talk, uh, talk with it on air. Like if we have all of that freedom and all of that access and we still ignore it, then, you know, we're, you know, then why would God protect us? Like, what yeah. would be the point of that exercise? And so, you know, th- this is not a question about being saved in Jesus. It's not a question about whether or not you're going to heaven. There is a question here, though, I think, about the way we live as a people. And I'm not trying to make a parallel here. You know, America is not Israel. I'm not going to argue that. But we are a people who claim to be Christians. We claim to be you know, in the new covenant, the new covenant people of God. And yet we are people who live in ways that are completely contrary to what God has revealed to be his will and his way. And that's idolatry, just of a different form. Mm. I was in class yesterday with students. We were talking off air about this and and just going through a passage of scripture. They they had some questions about a a certain passage of scripture. So we walked through it. it. It was the kind of walking through a scriptural text that would require maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe a couple hours of research to really unpack what the, the meaning of this passage was. And, and we got done and they didn't tear their clothes, like Josiah tore his clothes when, when something was being revealed. But they, they, I, I'm haunted by what their reaction was in class. There was about 30 of them. And so many of them said, 
why have we not known this? Why, and, and I really have been haunted by that question these last 24 to 36 hours. I thought, how are we equipping and discipling? And, and how, it, what is the invitation to become a follower of Jesus? And, and how do you equip people to do so? There, again, this was not some you know spiritual jujitsu I was doing in the classroom yesterday. I mean, it, it was basic exegetical work, and they started asking, "How did we get here? How, how do we how do we get to the level of illiteracy that we have?" And I think there is an invitation in this. This is not without hope. But when you went through the A and the B of, of Holda's prophecy there, and saying this is coming, but it doesn't necessarily have to come, and and it does, in, to a large degree, depend upon response. When Hulda was sought out by the king's men, and she was she was not summoned, which is what a ruler would usually do to a subordinate, right? Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So she's a pretty highly respected person. Very, yeah, I would say so. They knew where to go to find her. Yeah, they sought her out, um, and they inquired of her. Um, and she, so one interesting thing about this second district or second quarter um, of uh, of Jerusalem, um, for people who are King James Version people, this is the, the quarter of Jerusalem. It's known as the college. Hmm. So she's, they know where to find her and she's a learned person. <laughs> she's not dumb. And she's not dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fascinating study. Carmen, thank you for the work you've done, and it's really fun to see you, not in the host chair, but in the guest chair. I love it. It's, you, fun. it's really she fun. She just kind of came alive there. It was amazing. She? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like, who are you and what have you done with Carmen? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I usually don't see you this animated, but I can clearly see how excited you are about sharing the results of your study. It's fun every once in a while to get to use the seminary degree, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I just want to take the last couple minutes to collectively say thank you for what uh, the last two and a half days have been with our winter uh, fundraiser. And the gifts have continued to come in. And the difference that has made, I think we've completely reached our goal. I think we came really close to it. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, when we when we stopped sort of the on-air yeah. portion of the fundraiser earlier today, you know, we knew that we were we were very, very close, but we were still in need of people to continue to give in order to, um, to meet the need, you know, at this point in time in the year. And I believe that uh, the gifts that have come in ju- just in the last few minutes have now taken us to the place where we have, um, we have reached that, that need. The need has been met. It's amazing. It is truly amazing. It's amazing. And, yeah, we didn't announce it to anybody. I think we did mention we're roughly about $16,000 where we behind where we'd like to be at the end of the day. And yeah. here we are here approaching we are. the end of the day. And I think we've made our match. Amen. You guys are so amazing. Thank you so well, as much. as are you. And it's been great. And it's always good to connect with listeners and hear stories and get encouragement and hear uh, what's happening in the life of the ministry. And we can share our vision. And everyone does a, such a great job. Everyone works very hard here. It's very fun to be part of this team. Well, I'm just thinking about all the listeners that have supported this, and, and you guys have made the point that because we don't take in advertising dollars, we also then are not at risk of getting canceled by people going after the advertisers. So, mm-hmm. Carmen, as you're walking through scripture, scriptures like this for the last 45 minutes, there's not a single moment where you have to sit back and say, I better condition what I'm about to say. I better qualify what I'm about to say because I'm worried that somebody's going to come after some advertiser that's giving money. So this right. is a full listener supported. We're just love it. There's just yeah. freedom to be able to say this, and it's it's directly as a result of what's happened these last two and a half days and the ongoing yearly fundraising. It's just been incredible to watch. 
in, in the cancel culture in which we live, yeah. we're not going to be canceled because yeah. we are listener because supported. Exactly. Amen. And because of Boy, this. Does Amen. that ever make a huge difference? Yeah. Huge Humongous. difference. Yeah. 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 Well, when do you head back? Are you going to be here for the so morning? So I'm, I'm actually going to be here um, in town all day tomorrow because okay. I'm, instead of going from here to a meeting that I was going to be attending, I, I'm actually going to go from here to the funeral of a friend's daughter in, so in Texas. So it, yeah, so, but I, but I'll be here for the next 24 hours. And then Peter's actually going to graciously um, host my show on Friday morning. So he's yeah. a guest tomorrow. It's like we, I, it's in a positive way. We can't get rid of him. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I, I didn't know. It's like a bad penny. Par- but he's going to show up again yeah, no, tomorrow morning on Mornings of the Carmen. And then he's going to host for us on Friday morning. Yeah, wow. it's, so it's gum on the shoe. I get it. It just never goes away. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thank you very much, Carmen. Great Thank to have you. you here and great to see you in person. I love it. That wraps up our show for the day. If you missed any of it, I bet you're going to want to go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the podcast. Send it to a friend. And I've, I've been fascinated by the study of Hulda from Second Chronicles. Thank you uh, once again, Carmen. Have a great night, everyone. As you lay your head on the pillow, know that God's working out his great plan in your life. He loves you. We do, too. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.